Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Raiders Insider Podcast on NBCSportsCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Oakland Raiders Insider, Scott Baer. What's up, everybody, and welcome to a season-ending edition of the Raiders Talk Podcast. I'm sitting here with fellow NBC Sports Bay Area Raiders scribe Josh Schrock, and over the course of the next half hour or so, we're going to really break down everything that happened during this Raiders season, the good, the bad, the sometimes really, really ugly, (laughs) and try to make sense of what was an insane season with changing expectations, with tons of setbacks, with a volatile mushroom cloud known as Antonio Brown, and uh, everything that happened that ultimately led up to the Raiders going 7-9 and nine this season. And the weird thing, Josh, right, is 7-9. and nine Pretty good. Is a pretty good record this season. <laughs> right. And yet somehow, after everything that happened, it sort of feels like a disappointment. Sure, I mean, we probably figured they'd go 5-11, and 6-10 and 10 coming right. in, and 7-9, and nine, you look at it, not having Antonio Brown. It's pretty good, given all the injuries they had and everything. But, like you said, expectations changed. They got to 6-4. and four. People started thinking playoffs, started maybe even dreaming about the division, right? It was mm-hmm. fun. And so it feels disappointing. But we were talking, and they very well could have gone 5-11 and 11 if a yeah. couple of things don't go their way. So shoulda, coulda, woulda isn't really what it seems. Yeah, and, and players, Derek Carr in specific, said, I feel like we should still be prepping this week for a postseason game because he thinks they should have beat Houston yep. and Jacksonville and Denver. And all the, and he has a good case for all of them. Yep. They kind of blew those. Right. But, right, <laughs> they probably could have lost to Detroit yep. and Chicago and yep. London. And how much of a pivot point would that have been? Yep. Um, so things could have gone either way. That's why you can sit here and exhale and look back at the season and kind of say, 7-9 kind of feels right if you wouldn't have let your expectations uh, go with the wind. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, kind of that's where... I think this season goes, and if we look at it, right, turning points in the year, is there one that you could kind of pinpoint where you say, all right, maybe it didn't have an impact right away, but it definitely had something lasting? Yeah, I think it's the loss of Vontaze Perfect, okay. which is something we probably didn't think we were going to say coming <laughs> in because we weren't really sure how effective he was going to be. But he was really, really good and important for them for the first three and a half games, right, yeah. before he got the boot against Indianapolis. And as the season wore on, that – took a big, had a big effect, right? Because Tier White had to play a lot. Nicholas Morrow had to play a lot. Will Compton all of a sudden was playing a ton. The guy who's podcasting in week four when Fontes got kicked out. So that was, I thought that was, uh, that really did them in. And I, I think you bring up a, a good point because turning points don't always have to be all positive or all negative because you look at the the adrenaline mm-hmm. shot that they got from being so pissed off yeah. in London after losing him. They played probably above expectation against the Bears, yep. right? And you look at it moving forward, and then uh, they don't have a good game against Green Bay, but then they kind of get on that, that yep. roll late. But over time, um, I definitely think that it that it wore them down. And in terms of kind of like an on-field moment, 
I go back to that Jets game, yeah. right? And not the whole thing, but if you look at that second quarter, right? Yeah. That it's like ten to three, and then the game ends up thirty-four to three. Like yeah. the wheels come off in the second and third quarter, and Josh Jacobs, who has no filter, yeah. which I love about EGAF. him. EGAF. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. And he did not care. Had no problem saying we gave up. That they walked in there, maybe the Eagles were a little inflated, and we've heard lots of excuses about uh, that that the team charter got in at 2 a.m. after a long flight. They couldn't get off the tarmac. Maybe some of the younger guys went into Manhattan, had a couple too many pints, and there was a mixture of things, and maybe some stories that we don't even know about, where they just laid an egg. And that was a game where you enter it and you think, that's a W, yeah, right? right? That's an automatic win. And yeah. when that didn't happen, I think it just kind of changed the course of what they were doing and really started this downward spiral that took them from 6-4 and four to 7-9. and nine. Yeah, it definitely deflated them, I think, right? Because I think, I mean, I know I had penciled it as a win. I think they had, too. The Jets were playing awful. They, they were, were stinky. They were bad. Uh, and I think the Raiders were looking ahead to the Chiefs a little bit, not even thinking they could win, but knowing that there's a gap between them and Kansas City, right? So maybe even they're thinking, okay, even if we drop that one, we're going to beat the Jets. Mm-hmm. Got the Jags on the schedule. That's a win. Mm-hmm. Denver, not good. We already beat the Chargers. So they're kind of counting you know, counting the chickens before they hatch. And like Richie Incognito said, they got exposed yeah, that and day. Yeah, and I think maybe that that they had on some nice makeup earlier yeah, on right. uh, during that three-game winning streak that allowed them to kind of look better than they were. And, mm-hmm. and I mean this as a compliment, right? We, we've already talked about so many of the setbacks. That this team uh, was resilient and galvanized to be better than the sum of its parts, which is a compliment, but it's also an understanding yeah. that they were talent deficient yes. in a lot of areas and kind of getting by, um, you know, on those types of things. They, they, they would have had a lot more talent had... A certain somebody who goes by his initials, yes. who the, Mike Mayoff would rather us not name, yeah. Antonio Brown. Yeah. I mean, you and I, there was one point, I think, that between the two of us, we wrote 19 AB stories in a row. Yeah. And it was over like a 48-hour span. Our entire website yeah. had one non-AB story. That's yeah. how much of a uh, – that's how much interest there was. That's how many layers there were to the story. And, Josh, let's not – Let's not get back into everything that happened with Antonio. We know about the cryogenically frozen frozen feet. I can't pronounce that phrase <laughs> at all. Uh, the the, the shut air, air advantage, advantage, great helmet. Which you, in, you oh, can't play without it. No, apparently not. Yeah. Except everyone else in the NFL who right. doesn't want to get a concussion can find a way to play <laughs> yeah. without it. Correct. Uh, and the posted fine letter and the hilarious story about him painting his own helmet mm. and. Still my, that's still my favorite story of the entire Absolutely season. Absolutely yeah. cannot be beat. <laughs> or him calling Mike Mayock a, a name that we will not repeat on this friendly, family-friendly podcast. Uh, the guerrilla marketing Instagram video? Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's forget all that and yeah. just say the impact of Antonio Brown's loss yeah. and what happened there I think is a multi-layered thing. It had several different impacts on this team, on the field off the field, and in, in the locker room, what was your biggest takeaway about how Antonio's departure, how him going nuclear impacted this team? I think initially was the bolt of energy they got right yeah. out of the gate. They were so fired up. The F him, we don't need him mentality. Josh Jacobs was like, we're all really good. He's good, but we got a lot of guys in here who can ball. And then it just kind of, I think it zapped them after that, right? They had that initial rush, and then it was flat. And then they had to figure out a way to move the football with Tyrell Williams going from number two receiver 
to number one, mm-hmm. then not having a number two, and then just giving Josh Jacobs the ball a ton. Yeah, and I think from an X's and O's standpoint, Greg Olson and John Gruden sat in dark rooms with dry erase boards coming up with interesting ways to make Antonio Brown the centerpiece. Mm -hmm. It's not unrealistic to think he may have gotten 160 targets, something like that. And then all of a sudden, your offensive centerpiece that you have designed packages around. Really, the whole offense. yeah, Yeah, like vanishes in a cloud of social media <laughs> smoke, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're left wondering, well, what do you do? Okay? Yeah. And these are bright offensive minds. They can yeah. adjust. Right. But we're adjusting on the fly when the games count. Yeah. Because Antonio Brown is done a couple days before the season, yeah. right? Yeah. Just on the cusp of, of that Monday night game. And I think that some kudos go to John Gruden and Greg Olson and Derek Carr, the quarterback, who we're going to talk a lot more about later. He hasn't come yeah. up yet. Right. Trust me. We're going to get into it. Um, How they translated this offense, which was going to be so much dynamic shifts and modern offensive tendencies to get Antonio Brown the ball in space, became run-centric, powerful, behind-the-offensive-line, Josh Jacobs, punch-you-in-the-mouth type of balanced offense. And I think that that was really incredible to see those coaches transform that, to see Derek Carr understand the run game, and for them to find a way to still be functional offensively. They were scoring 24-plus points a game for a long time until they hit the skids because, as you said, the offense kind of ran out of gas. Wide receiver, though, it wasn't just that Tyrell Williams couldn't do it. The entire wide receiver core – fell on hard times, and we saw so much turnover. Yeah, I think if you look back on it now, I mean, even Tyrell Williams, he had, what, two really good games until he got hurt, yeah. and then just battled that foot injury the whole rest of the season. It wasn't himself. Definitely didn't live up to the contract. Then, you know, we don't know if he's going to be back. Uh, Hunter Renfro is the only one in that entire receiving core who you can look at and say he should definitely be back, other than Darren Waller, of course, mm-hmm. with tight end. He's, you know, we'll talk about him later, too. Uh, but, I, yeah, I thought A.B., going nuclear four to eight hours before the season started set them back, I mean, six months, right? You yeah. go back to when they got them. They've been spending the whole off season talking yeah. about how Derek Carr's going to go downfield. We're going to get Antonio Brown a lot of targets downfield, crossing routes, everything, gone. Yeah, all, all that gone. I also think that you were that you were talking about the surge of energy that mm-hmm. it gave them. I think it, it taught them resilience. Yeah. Because even during the preseason, right, it was all about Antonio. The whole thing, Antonio this, Antonio that. He dominated hard knocks. He dominated the headlines, like yeah. just like what we were saying. We could not produce enough Antonio Brown content, and people could not read enough. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, that this locker room stayed together. When it could have fallen apart, they could have panicked at the start of the season. Yeah. And I think that... As they went along, when they lost Perfect, when they lost John Abram, when so many kind of bad things happened to them, when they got their tails kicked in by Minnesota mm-hmm. in week three, you think, oh, they're going to collapse like a house of cards. And they didn't because they survived the Antonio thing, and their mentality was they survived that, they could survive anything. But I, I'm curious about this, right? The Antonio Brown, Mike Mayock blow up, mm-hmm. right? Mike Mayock hasn't. He's had one public interview since that time. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of gone silent. There were some questions about, uh, is Mike Mayock going to stand for this long term? Is he going to keep working with, with, with John Gruden? What kind of an impact do you think that had on Mike Mayock? And do, do you think maybe he won or, gosh, I had a cushy TV job. 
and I gave it all up for this. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I just wonder what was going through his head, and obviously he's trying really hard to avoid these types of questions that we're asking now. Yeah, and I think I'm sure that when Antonio, you know, this megalomaniac is screaming at him on the practice field, Mike Mayock switching his back in NFL Network, just diagnosing draft prospects. But I think he probably went away and now is just resting on how good the rookie draft class that he scouted exactly. turned out to be, right? So, yeah, the big trade blew up in our face a little bit because Antonio Brown's a lunatic. But And John Gruden's technically sided with the player initially right. after that whole thing. Well, That's not a great sign when, either. When you're talent deficient like the Raiders are, yeah. you have to do that That's because they need that talent. Whereas when Antonio went to the Patriots... They don't play that game, mm-hmm. right? We'll see you later. You're yeah. going to sit here and send text messages harassing people and make the questions all about you and not X's and O's? Bye-bye. Adios. Yeah. And then he became New England's problem, and now he's just the world's problem. problem. He's Twitter's yeah. He's problem. still my problem. Yeah, he absolutely <laughs> is. Uh, still, still drawing those clicks. Uh, yeah. But I do think that having a guy like Josh Jacobs yeah. helped the Raiders recover. Yeah. Not only – because of the offensive schematic, mentality, right. right? The mentality that he had, the production that he had, um, and the fact that this guy was a rookie, first-round pick, burst onto uh, burst onto the scene. I think that he helped them move on quickly as well. Oh, absolutely. He was. I mean, I, in my mind, he was their best player this year. Mm-hmm. He should be runaway offensive rookie of the year. I don't know. AJ Brown talk. It's all. It's all complete lunacy. Yeah. And Josh Jacobs was unreal when he was playing he played with a fractured shoulder and I I agree I think him being as good as he was right away and just having that edge that DGAF mentality knowing hey you don't want to be here Antonio doesn't want to be here that's fine get on my back let's go yeah and he had no problem carrying a heavy workload and he just had that he's not arrogant right no but he's as confident as you can possibly get in his own ability just walks in he just feels like he belongs from the second he I always said I, I never got the talk about the speed of the game and all these other things. And you go back to that Chicago game where yeah. he scored two touchdowns, and that second one where Alec Ingold is like a heat-seeking missile, and they jump over the end zone. Yeah. I thought that was the moment, and that was the game that really kind of defined him as our new leader, the yeah. dynamic presence, a guy that deserves to be recognized on a national stage, and an absolute ace, A-plus pick. That, yeah, okay, he got hurt towards the end of the year. Missed three of the last four games. But the guy plays through pain. He had 200-some-odd touches. He was on the road to 300 uh, total touches. So I think that this guy has proven durable. He's proven that everything John Gruden hoped and thought he could be, he is. And when they add more talent around him and they're maybe not so Jacobs-centric, I think that that's only going to help him. Oh, absolutely, And. So I, I think that that transitions into our, our 2019 Raiders season awards. I've got the first one, and it's the MVP, yep. and there's an obvious one here, and it's the guy that we're talking about. Josh Jacobs, I, I think, has just been incredible. I joked about this a couple times, I think, on this podcast that I have a little bit of a man crush on the yeah, guy. I mean, right. he is just the exact type of football player that I love to watch. He's physical. He's unafraid. He's an old-school guy. Emmett Smith, like maybe like yeah. we're comparing him to Gold Jacket players. Yeah. I think he's on that level, and if he stays healthy, 
and maybe can avoid some of those hits that he welcomed and initiated yeah. this year, I really think he's going to be a long-term force in this league, nationally recognized kids in Wisconsin and New Jersey and Florida by a, by a Jacobs jersey type of player. Um, so that's my MVP. I agree. Coast Your high. defensive player of the year, Josh yeah. Rock, this award falls to you. Okay, well, you know, let's just stay on brand, right? Okay. Uh, it's got to be Trayvon Mullen. Of course let's, it does. All right, come on, come on, Scott. They trade away Gary and Conley because Trayvon Mullen is so good, he's got to be on the field, and then he's a complete lockdown corner for the rest of the season. He and, was unbelievable. And that quote from John Gruden that he gave almost seemingly directly to you. Yeah, no, he was speaking <laughs> to me. <laughs> in his post-game press conference saying that Trayvon Mullen was the brightest shining light. Yeah. And we just talked about Josh Jacobs, right, and yeah. all these other guys. And I think Trayvon Mullen's work ethic was... Yeah. Not terrible, but not what it is now, yeah. early on. And I think that that kind of put him in the number three spot. Yeah. I think his ego was big, and Emmanuel Sanders, back when he was with the Broncos, yeah. torched, torched him, torched him week in, in week one. Yeah. I think took him down a peg yeah. and created But that, that set him on the path to where, where he got, definitely. Because I talked to Trayvon about that, and that's basically what he said. Is he knew how good he was, but when he went up against Emmanuel Sanders and got roasted, he was like, okay, new ball game. And I, I think ultimately he, he was flagged a bunch. Yeah. I think those are going to go away because he he's aggressive and physical, and he's going to learn how NFL officials call games. And he's going to adjust. He's good technically. He's strong. He's built. If you were to draw a cornerback that mm-hmm. Paul Gunther loves, yeah. it would look like Trayvon Mullen. Yeah. He's long. He's physical. He doesn't care about what you think, good and he's going to compete forever. And yeah. he tackles, yeah. unlike what Conley did. Yeah. I, I think that the performance, the pre-trade game where Gary Conley just – Looked like he didn't care. That that's one of those yeah. moments where John Gruden is like, "Get him off of my team," yeah. and instantly when, when the Packers shredded him. It was right, just like, instantly we'll trade injected. Right, yeah. and then it, it makes sense the right. way that it kind of worked. Yeah. Now, the breakout star, right? The, uh, I think this one's sort of obvious too because it's not a rookie. You can't be a, a rookie breakout star, but Darren Waller's been around for yeah. a while. Yeah. Nobody's known who he is because he's been in the substance. Of, abuse kind of program yeah. for the NFL for so long. He's missed a year. He's been suspended multiple times. Guy's two years clean and sober now. Yep. And an absolute force to be reckoned with. Right. The guy's incredible. The story, oh my gosh, it's like yeah. send it to a Hollywood producer <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. That this guy has found a way to recover. He has no problem sharing his story. But all that, right, only works if you pair it with on-field dominance. Yep. Right? And I, I still think... I still think Travis Kelsey is better. If somebody says George Kittle is the best tight end in the world, I'm not going to argue. Yep. But he's in the class. Yep. He's in that Zach Ertz, George Kittle type of frame. I think when he gets more body control in the air, yeah. he's going to be even better. But the guy's a willing blocker. He uh, He's a versatile guy. Um, he's someone that you want on your team. I think him getting a contract extension was exactly what they needed um, to do with a guy like that. Yeah, no, I, def- I definitely agree. Uh, I thought Waller was was fantastic. Uh, so let's just go to the biggest surprise. Uh, I want to say Hunter Renfro, but yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I knew Hunter, not. I knew Hunter Renfro was going to be good. Uh, so Max Crosby. I mean, this is a fourth round pick that people thought, hey, he's a project, maybe a third down pass rusher, play 20 snaps a game from Eastern Michigan. Michigan. He had one college offer. Right. Yeah. No one ever heard of the guy. I don't even know where Mike Mayock found him. <laughs> and I watch a lot of college football. <laughs> yeah. I never heard of the guy. <laughs> and ten and a half sacks. 15 and a half tackles for a lot. The guy was unbelievable, and I honestly took a lot of the heat off of Cleveland Furl mm-hmm. because that's what Cleveland Furl was supposed to be. Yeah, and 
if you look at it, he's not going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. That's probably going to be Nick Bosa. Uh, Nick Bosa had double the... Double the pressures of Max Crosby, but Max Crosby, as you're pointing out, was a revelation. It's funny you read that you go back and here you read his draft profile, and like the guy can't play the run. Uh, supposedly he's too light. Yeah. He's too this, that, yeah, and the other right. thing. Remember go back he, and remember he broke his hand or his thumb mm-hmm. in the preseason. We were kind of wondering. I mean, is this guy going to play at all? Right. Yeah. He's lost so much uh, development time yeah. that, that now that it's over. And I encourage people after they're done with this one, go back and listen to the conversation that I had with Max Crosby, where he talks about. There was a very large chip. Like, yes. that, like that is not cliche for him. Yeah. And I think that he has really been incredible. And I think that his future as a three-down defensive lineman, really, he only got that opportunity in week four, right, mm-hmm. that all of a sudden he kind of burst onto the scene, and yeah. then they couldn't take him off the field. Right. He had a forced fumble against the Colts. Yeah. They're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe, like, maybe. maybe this guy can play the run. Yeah. Um, and ultimately I think that, that that's what – has been so surprising for him. Uh, you know, the, the best off-season move, if we're taking the draft picks out yeah, of it, just right. in terms of, of signings, I think you look back at it, and I remember in, as free agency is starting, right? Yeah. Like, a second after you're allowed to sign free agents, yeah. Trent Brown had <laughs> inked like a $66 million deal that was definitely not tampered with at any point before no, absolutely that. No, no, no. But once you got him involved, and from the people that I know down in Santa Clara, they were like, they spent $66 million on that guy? Mm-hmm. He doesn't watch film. He's lazy. He gets by on being the biggest dude on planet Earth. Yep. And that's it. Yep. That's not the guy nope. that the Raiders got. Nope. You covered him a bit yep. in New Foxborough yep. uh, when you were covering the uh, Patriots, and you had a very different experience. I think he came in. He played right tackle as opposed to left tackle. Yep. Didn't let that get in his way. Yep. He tutored David Sharp and Brandon Parker, who helped when they were on injured reserve. Yep. I think he made Colton Miller a little bit better. And the guy was outside of an off-field civil suit that is really messy, and we don't know what happened there, yep. so we're not talking about his character here. Yep. We're talking about him as a player as good as you get uh, on that offensive line. It was a home run of an uh, offseason of a bunch of splashy, flashy moves. Yeah. That was, that was the one that worked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just go the obvious. The worst offseason move was trading draft picks for Antonio Brown just for him to go completely nuclear mm-hmm. four months later. And get absolutely nothing. You got nothing him. out of him. You could have gotten a guy like Terry McLaurin, who they loved with that mm-hmm. third-round draft pick. And they actually, loved him. And oh actually my gosh. had, a, loved had him. another young receiver with Hunter Renfro and said you got a megalomaniac, social media addict turned rapper who completely tried to nuke the season. Incredible. Yeah. It was awful. It it was. And (laughs) I cannot emphasize to the listeners enough, no one spent more time on the daily dealings of Antonio Brown than Josh Strock. It was an incredible volume of stuff that even after he went to the Patriots and his I will not be listening to No White Woman 2020. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's so many things wrong. (laughs) You know, and I don't want to go too far into Antonio, and I don't ever claim – to know athletes, you see them for 10 minutes yeah. a week, right? You yeah. kind of see them in a locker room setting, see them at work, always on their best behavior because right. we have things that record stuff, yeah. right? right? And they ultimately well, don't want to – most of them are on their best Most behavior. of them. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they don't want, you know, that out there. Out there, yeah. Uh, and I had this in Arizona, preseason game. Antonio Brown warmed up. That, that's, that's all he did. And he, this kid was crying over meeting him. He was so excited, and Antonio gave him a hug and all this stuff. And in the locker room – there was maybe three of us, had a real genuine human moment with Antonio Brown that yeah. raised my eyebrow, and I thought, 
this guy is a human being after all. Yeah. He's got an image, but he's a real person, yeah. right? And then like the Carter's next historic day, moment in Raiders history. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> right? And then after that, he went right back to the same awful, introverted, egomaniacal stuff that he always was. Yeah. So, again... I don't know anything about anything that I didn't see, but from what I saw, the guy's a grade-A jerk. I'm oh, sorry. Right. There, yeah. There's just no way around it. No, he's, yeah. just, he's just not a fun cover. Uh, he's not someone that I ever really enjoyed talking to outside of that one moment, and maybe I was fooled there. Yeah. Um, so that was obviously uh, the, the worst move. I, you could also say that Antonio Brown was this year's biggest loss, mm-hmm. but we talked so much about that, but I want to kind of go in a different direction here. I think it's a guy that, he, he's been gone so long that you almost forgot, right? Salmon. But, yeah, salmon, right. If you watch episode one of Hard Knocks, you would remember Jonathan Abram yeah. was a force of will in terms of character, yeah. but also in terms of work ethic. And he, and he hurt his shoulder in game one because he was overly excited, because he was that force of nature. He was trying too hard. He sort of got Gary Conley hurt. He was a bit wild. And you just wondered if Paul Gunther – just, or just experience – could have reined in the Mustang a little bit, a little bit over time. Yeah. I think he would have been that type of, hey, I can cover deep, I can knock your block off type of versatile safety and tone setter that when paired with perfect and some improved pass rushers could have really changed the tone of that defense. Yeah. Not a knock against Eric Harris, who I like a great deal, but I think it is a downgrade. It is a knock against Curtis Riley, though. It Absolutely, yeah. yeah. How, how much they struggled after they Maybe lost. That first game. With Curtis Riley against Chiefs. Right. Torched. A- absolutely torched. Yeah. And I, I think that that was a big loss yeah. that, again, his energy, his uh, enthusiasm for the game and his ability to be a tone setter could have helped them when they were tired and, and, yeah. and, and, and out of gas. When they needed to get off the field late in the season, they couldn't do it. Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, we've talked about so many awards. Our last one. Yeah. Last one. Below expectations. Who fell below expectations? Who do you think this guy's going to be X and he ended up being Y? Uh, I'm going to say LaMarcus Joyner. LaMarcus Joyner, okay. Signed a big deal. Yeah, huge deal. Mm-hmm. Was supposed to be a key part of the secondary, and from everything I saw, he got picked on a lot. He did. He got targeted all the time, gave up a bunch of catches, gave up a bunch of touchdowns, and was pretty useless. And after those touchdowns and catches, do you know what he was often doing? Pointing fingers at somebody else all for the why time. he didn't get all covered. All the time. It was never his fault. Yeah, and, yeah, right. and, and that's like, what... You're yeah. this big deal. You're supposed to be a veteran leader... In a young, relatively young secondary. Yeah. you got to be better, man. You, you absolutely do. And that, that, that's why I think, if I can sneak in one honorable mention here, yeah. it's got to be for a guy that I like a great deal, Tyrell Williams, yeah. who was – he wasn't excited to see Antonio leave, but he was excited at the opportunity to show he was a number one receiver, yeah, right. worth the $11 million per year that was given to him. Mm. And ultimately that was not the case. Now, he got hurt in plantar fasciitis – Everybody who's run more than a mile thinks they know what that feels like. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah, right. You don't if you're an athlete. And there's nothing that you can do for it but rest it. Yeah. And there's no time to rest it. When you're Tyrell Williams and you're trying to prove that you can exceed the 1,000-yard season you had back in 2015, and when he was with the Chargers and so many people got hurt, he was the number one guy. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, he fell below expectations. I think you go back and listen to my conversation with him. He said the same thing. Yep. It, w- it was a frustrating experience for him. I think it was frustrating for the wide receiver core overall. You think about that, and I guess we can get down to it, um, with our five off-season questions here. And part of it, 
has to do with our first off-season question, right? Yes. The guy we haven't talked about yet that we've been saving up. Here's the moment. All of our hot takes for. Here it is. Should the Raiders keep Derek Carr? That's going to be the biggest question moving into this offseason, right. whether they do or not. Yep. There's no right or wrong answer, I don't think. But ultimately, maybe you do. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, because you gave me a look there, and you're like, ah, bro, there is an answer here. Yeah, right. uh, but that is going over everything. Because yeah. Derek Carr had such an odd season. Career highs in so many categories. Yeah. Still the most hated man in, Ra- in Raider Nation, to the point that he got booed off the field not once, but twice. Yeah. And he went down to try to talk to little kids in the black yeah. hole, and 40-year-old drunk idiots are throwing water bottles yeah. and plates of nachos at him, right? Yeah. That This is a guy... Expensive who, nachos. They, they are. Yeah. Who orders nachos in the fourth quarter, by the way? I, I just... That doesn't make sense. That's the end zone. Right. It's just disrespectful. It is. I'm getting off track here. Derek Carr. Let's just get down to it. Sure. I can go on a five-minute rant. Yeah. That's not good for podcasting. <laughs> no. uh, what do you do with uh, Derek Carr? What, what are your criteria? Let's say uh, you get to be Mike Mayock. I'll be John Gruden. Okay. What goes into your thought process as you try to figure out the answer to this question? Well, we talked about it, right? Derek Carr is an average to a little above average NFL quarterback when things are all right. Right when you've got weapons, you've got a defense, you've got a line, you've got a good scheme, he can win you some ball games. Is he the guy who's going to go win you playoff games, win you Super Bowl? Probably not. I don't think so. I mean, it's it just, and I, I think I wrote about it yesterday, and we got a lot of reaction on my Justin Herbert column. So please keep it in my way. I love the conversation. <laughs> uh, but if John Gruden really does want to let it fly. He said he wants the pass set to get more explosive when they get all the pieces involved. Well, one, he's got to change his play calling. Absolutely. Or the quarterback. And if that's based on the quarterback, then the quarterback needs to change. Because Derek Carr, like you said, the yards per attempt were up, right? 7.9. Yeah. That's a pretty good number. It's number nine, number nine in the NFL. His stats are top ten quarterback right. stuff. But intended air yards per attempt, right. 30th in the NFL. Yeah. Which means the average target was six yards downfield. That's not letting it fly. Mm-hmm. Definitely That's, not. And I mean, now, and a lot of that has to do with lack of wide receivers, lack of separation, sure. bad scheme. It all plays a role, right? Yeah. It's not all on Derek Carr's shoulder. Let's not go nail him to a wall mm-hmm. and burn him at the cross. Yeah. Right. Right. But I do think that what Mike Mack and John Gruden have to decide is they can cut him after February for $2 million. But you've got to have a better option. Okay? Otherwise, you just keep him and you build another good draft class and see if you can use your – bulk of free agent money, which they have a lot of. We're going to talk about that Mm -hmm. to get him a little more help and see if he can be that guy when things are right. Because in his career so far, things really haven't been right. Yeah, I mean, it's through six years as a pro, this stat goes to the AP's Josh Dubow, who is the best stat man I've ever seen in my life. He has uh, 55 losses in his first six seasons. The only person who has more losses in that span... David Carr, his brother, which is just absolutely astonishing. Um, Another stat from our guy Josh Dubow. Derek Carr, 12-9 and record since entering the NFL when his team allows less than 20 points. Yeah. That's bad. That's not bad. You have to win those games. Yeah, that's... Uh, for, for, for example, shall we? Jamarcus Russell. What do you think his record was in those than, games? Better than that. Yes, it was. 6-2. and two. Jimmy Garoppolo ten and zero. Jimmy Garoppolo ten and zero. Tom Brady one hundred forty three and six. But you know, yeah, let, but <laughs> and uh, so on and so forth. There, see, I, I was there in twenty sixteen when he was a legit 
MVP candidate. Him and Bill Musgrave were like they were on the same page, man, and right. he was letting it fly, and they were carving defenses, and he was, he's got 19 fourth-quarter comebacks. Yeah. That's a lot. He's good in the clutch. He can be a really, really good quarterback. Right. And maybe 2016, what, what you were saying, that's when everything was going great. He was yeah. protected by the best offensive line in football. He had Crabtree. He had Cooper. Yep. He had Latavius Murray and a stable of running backs. Yeah. He had all these things going for him. And a and an opportunistic defense right. led by the Defensive Player of the Year, a guy who the Raiders don't want mentioned, but it's Khalil Mack. Right. Um, but I think, though, if you're going to move on mm-hmm. from what I believe is a very – I need like five varies. He's a very, very, very good good quarterback, mm-hmm. right? That I, I think he is a legit top-ten quarterback when things are going right. But – wow. John, it, I think I'm John Gruden in this sure, scenario, right? So sure. if I am, I'm also looking at my life span in this contract, right? It's a 10-year deal. There's eight years left on it. And that's the most important part, right? Uh-huh. It's John Gruden's world. Right. It, so he makes all the As good as Derek Carr is or isn't, might be. If John right. Gruden doesn't like him, then, that's, then all that, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And ultimately, if I'm John Gruden, and, and he's never said this, but if this is a finite amount of time mm-hmm. that he's going to coach before traveling the world and eating uh, chicken wings at Hooters and drinking Coronas. And taking and Booger's job back. Exactly. Please help us. <laughs> <laughs> that ultimately, if, that's, if you have a finite amount of time, mm-hmm. why do you want to waste it right. on a quarterback that you don't truly believe in? Yeah. But you've got to go out there and you've got to think, is, let's not get a very good quarterback. Let's get a special quarterback. Is there something, is there a Pat Mahomes type? He loves Pat Mahomes. Yep. Or is Pat Mahomes like a figment of John Madden's yeah. Telestrated creation, right? right. Yeah. Uh, that ultimately you got to find somebody special. If you go out there and you look in this draft class and mm-hmm. you don't find it, yep. or you think there's a guy that's a year or two away, uh, then maybe you don't make that move. Right. And they have so many other needs, which we'll get to. Correct. Uh, but ultimately, I think this question will be the defining one of this offseason. Yep. It's one that you have to make with bold confidence, though, yep. because Derek Carr would be a terrible bridge quarterback. Right. If they drafted somebody and kept him, yeah. that's not a good recipe no. for success. So no. that's why you have you have to be decisive. You can't yeah. say we're going to take one and develop one and then let him compete it out. Yeah. Right? No. That's not no. an, an option. No. And that's why I think it's so important. And that's why I think perfect transition to offseason question number two: yep. what to do with these high draft picks, right. which is kind of like a needs question. Yeah. And if you take a quarterback, or you got to package both your first round draft picks yep. to go get right. somebody that you just love. Yep. Now you're not filling other needs. Correct. And boy, there are a lot. Yes. Right? Yeah. You're like you're the draft guy. Yeah. You're the college football guy, the guy that watches bowl games, even yeah. the terrible ones. All the, all the terrible ones. High draft picks. Yeah. You can find me some matches. doesn't really matter in which order or which person, but sure. positions mm-hmm. that you think that there is quality depth yeah. where you can get a truly dynamic player at 12, their pick, and 19. 19. The Bears pick. 19. Well, wide receiver first. It's a historically deep wide receiver class. Yeah. Alabama's going to have three guys go in the first round. They're all absurd. I mean, Jerry Judy won't be there, but if they can get Henry Ruggs, who's going to run maybe 4-2-ish at the Combine, mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. I know people want C.D. Lamb. I want C.D. Lamb. He's not going to be there. <laughs> he's not getting past Arizona because he's Kyler Murray's best friend. Right. And they're, that's the pick for the Cardinals. I get it. I get Everyone wants Isaiah Simmons, linebacker from Clemson. He's a mutant. Hybrid safety. Guy's ridiculous. He's not going to be there either. 
Stop blowing up my mentions. <laughs> I understand. I know you guys want Isaiah Simmons. That, not, that not, kind of breaks my heart, too, to be honest with you. It's not going to happen. I want to see Isaiah you Simmons. You just said that, and I, I just put a sank yeah. in my chair. If he falls to – I mean, if Isaiah Simmons is on the board at 12, they will absolutely take him because they have huge needs at linebacker, and the linebacker class is pretty shallow, especially with Dylan Moses from Alabama going back to school. Right. So it's either Simmons or Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. And I think – with the linebacker class being that thin, that can allow them to think quarterback at 12 because the receiver class is so deep, you can get one at 19 and then one on day two. Right. And, and, and then use your free agency money to get a linebacker. Okay, well, free agency, they are going to have some more money. and $69 million Right, and that, and that number could balloon like you would not believe. Yeah. If you get rid, if you move on from Derek Carr, again, I'm not suggesting it. I don't know if that's a great idea from my vantage, but if you... Well, Nathan Peterman will play. Oh, boy. Now we just... (laughs) Here come the fire takes. Uh, But that they have that money. Tyrell Williams can be cut and... I think think he will be. With zero dead money. Even though John Gruden says the guy's a truly dynamic player, I think he's a top five, number two receiver, if that makes any sense. Correct. Yeah. He's a supporting wide receiver. Right, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. But I think maybe... But paying him $11 million. Right. Yeah. I think maybe you could find a better receiver or a better way to spend that $11 million. Right. Uh, but area, the entire offensive line, mm-hmm. locked. Yep. Richie Incarnito, welcome back. A good sign. Yes. Uh, you just signed a, a two-year deal. Trent Brown obviously paid big bucks as well. Yeah. Um, but when you look at it, it has to be an important decision to infuse it with free agent money. This mm-hmm. is a team that's going to be built with draft classes, hopefully. And you look at the free agent moves that they made yeah. outside of Trent Brown, Tyrell, Tyrell, Tyrell Williams. Dud. LaMarcus Joyner. Big dud. Right? Yeah. The, the trade for Brown? Eh, that didn't work yeah, out. Yeah, we know. Yeah, and yeah, right. so on and so forth, yeah, right? right? That that there were a lot of misses. issues yeah. and misses there. Yeah. So you it has to be like a smart bomb. You, you have right. to find the right spot, take a big load of cash, and then just dump it. Yep. Right. So again, let's not go into players here. And if they have, if they need a quarterback, you know, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, but in areas where I think that they should go out and get one, I think they should draft a receiver high. Yeah. They should draft another one in the mid rounds. Yeah. And then they should go pay one. Yeah. Just completely revolutionize that. Keep Hunter Renfro in the slot yep. and get a bunch of fast big dudes ar- ar- around him. Yeah. Um, I think that's what they could use. And it's time. It's time, whether it's through the draft or through free agency, to pay serious money to make a major commitment, draft or free agency, on an interior linebacker. Yeah. Right? That exactly. I've been covering this team since 2013. Yeah. They have never drafted a linebacker right. above the fifth round. Yeah. Wrap your brain around that. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And they wonder why there's just a gaping hole in the middle of the defense. Yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> banana land. They can easily part ways with Tyre Whitehead as well. Yeah. So, right. in my opinion... I'm paying a linebacker mm-hmm. for certain. Yep. Maybe a cornerback, too? Or would you rather see that drafted? I, I think a secondary piece, right? Sure. Because LaMarcus is going nowhere. He, he's, a, he's owed a lot of guaranteed money still. Yeah. Uh, I kind of... Cornerbacks are expensive. They are expensive. I, I would probably just draft another one. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think they kind of use that money on an edge rusher. <laughs> yeah, good I point. mean, you got guys like Jadavion Clowney, Shaquille Barrett. They're going to be on the market, and they're going to cost big bucks. But you got to rush the passer. You got to get to the quarterback. And I know Max Crosby's good. Cleveland Furl's going to improve. Yada yada yada. <laughs> These guys, 
are good. Yeah. They're established veterans who rush the passer and get to the quarterback. And there's nothing wrong with having more than two. It's, it's essential, they tell me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you look at what the 49ers. if you look at what they've have constructed there, yep. the waves of, of pressure, yep. right? And because you have Crosby and Cleveland locked up, who, who's not a bad player, and we way. assume they'll bring back Deion Jordan. Yes, yes. Um, although he's going to the highest bidder, I asked him about coming back, and he kind of looked at me like, "Yeah, sounds fun to go to Vegas or." Sidebar, wherever they're going to pay me the most right, money. exactly. Um, but nonetheless, yeah. having a, a third guy, sure. I, I think, is huge. The rotation yeah. is huge. I think maybe uh, you're right there. Last year, I think they were in on them, or in on the market, yeah. and then all those guys got tagged. Right. Right, and then the market yeah. became small, and then Trey Flowers became super rich and it for was sort of no reason. At all, other than the fact that he had the Foxborough shine on him. Right. Yeah. You see, Cam Waite got like... Eight million bucks. Like, yeah. that's how sideways that market was. Right. If the market settles, I think that they could absolutely uh, spend some money there. Yeah. And with these defensive pieces, though, they're going to be coached by, by Paul Gunther. Yeah. I know some people were saying uh, they wanted a new guy. John Gruden has historically gone through defensive coordinators pretty rapidly. Yeah. He and Paul Gunther are good friends. Yep. Uh, he has a commitment to Paul. He gave him a longer than standard contract yeah. back when he was. It was a four-year deal. Assistants don't get four-year deals. Right. He got one, and I think, I don't know. I think his scheme is fine. Yeah. I think it's kind of basic, and it requires a lot of talent. And John keeps spending money on his side of the ball, right? right? Yeah. And drafting on his yep. side of the ball, yeah. and then leaving Paul with something else. Right. So I think ultimately he needs more talent. If you give him talented players, he will he will produce. Ace quality defense. Right, and it's hard to evaluate Gunther's scheme when, I mean, how many, you look at the Raiders' defense, how many guys are you like, that guy's a dude? Right. Not many. Very few. Trayvon Mullen, dude. Mm-hmm. List. Yeah. John Abram, probably Maybe a dude, it. we think. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it does bother me, like when he says, without Vontez Perfect, there's some plays that I can't call without him. Yeah. That's I mean, when you're dragging Will Compton off the street. Yeah, to try to do that, then <laughs> yeah. maybe you're right. right. So, off-season question number five is, there's some rumblings. Yeah. And it's not just minor whisper yeah. over a beer on the road things. Right. That, that they could bring Vontez Perfect back, despite the fact that he's on triple secret probation at this point, right. like when he comes back. And the next hit's going to put him back on the shelf for the full year. Do do you bring him back though, and that obviously may have an impact on what their other decisions are right. at that interior linebacker right. spot. Yeah, we're talking about free agency and paying a linebacker, right? Well, if they can pay Vontez Perfect cheaper right. than a guy like Littleton or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to give them more money to spend on an edge rusher or a wide receiver. We didn't even talk about that. I mean, bring Amari Cooper back. We'll get Derek Carson. <laughs> Yeah. Some chemistry. Amari Cooper's gonna be a free agent. I don't <laughs> think the Cowboys are gonna fan. I don't think Amari's coming back. But I don't. I'm I not d- sure if he ever made eye contact with John Gruden. <laughs> I don't think that's so. That's kind of an oil and water sort of. A I don't think so. But yeah, no. I think Vontez Perfect. I think that would be if he wants to come back. I think that's a move they should make because that will free them up to do other things. Right. It fills a it fills a hole, and then they can focus elsewhere. Right. And then. I just looked at the clock, and man, we are we are really moving and shaking. It's sir. 46 minutes long right now, but yes, there's sir. plenty to talk about. Um, as we kind of wrap it up, this rookie class, right, yeah. gives them reason for optimism. Correct. The move to Las Vegas, for as much as Oakland fans, it rips them apart. Yeah. The revenue streams are, are good for the health of the franchise. That when you look at this draft class, top to bottom, yeah. right, we're talking about Cleveland that we didn't even get into that, that much. and. Yeah. 
what Abram's impact could be and Jacobs and all these guys, right? They had two first rounders that, I mean, one played uh-huh. one game and Cleveland was kind of in, invisible for some. Lost weight, the whole thing. We and I think better is ahead for him. Yes. But when you look at this draft class as a foundation mm-hmm. for what could be a good football team yep. if they can stack another one, yeah. right? right. Uh, this draft class, as good as I've been around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they got franchise building blocks at three, four key positions. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that again, which there's no reason to think they can't based on this draft class, Mike Mack and John Gruden clearly in sync, good at scouting, got the right players, then something special can be built. Yeah, and uh, you look at – I always define a draft class not by who you get on top because mm-hmm. it's easier there. Right. It's who you get in those middle rounds. Yeah. And you think about that and you think about – Crosby and the potential of Isaiah Johnson yep. and Hunter Renfro, yep. right? And Foster Moreau, Moreau. of all yeah, people. Right. Uh, just all those are little building block pieces. And if you do that enough time, that's how you establish the depth of your franchise. Right. Yep. And that's when you can sustain success as yep. opposed to the flash in the pan spike yep. of good Derek Carr and Khalil Mack back in 2016. Yep. That's where it's different. That's why I think there's a lot of optimism around this team. Yep. Yeah, they play in the Chiefs division. Right. right, and that's hard. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, I think that John Gruden and Mike Mack are on to something here. It's a bummer that Oakland won't see it, yeah. ultimately, but I, I think that they're on to something, um, and I think it's something positive. Se- seven and nine is one of those transitional years. Derek Carr was asked, does it feel like 2015 when they went seven and nine and then went 12 and four? Yeah. That it could be one of those things where they could surge. They've got to find a way to compete within the conference. Those wild-card spots are going to be important with Pat Mahomes doing Pat Mahomes things. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the division's going to be going to be tough. But if they can stack another draft class, then there's no reason to think they can't. Like I said, I think this draft class gave John Gruden a little twinkle in his eye, right? He took a lot of heat for the trades, uh-huh. and every pick was basically a home run. Right. So you can do it again. Now you're talking eight, nine, ten really good players mm-hmm. to build a franchise around. And then you go from there. And that is exactly what you want. Yes. And uh, that is exactly going to be the exclamation point on the postseason wrap-up of the Raiders Talk podcast. Yep. Josh, I don't even, I don't like, I don't need to get all mushy on you, but it's yeah. been awesome it's all been season pleasure, long uh, going through these uh, discussions each and every week, guys. If you haven't already, do yourself a favor and subscribe to the Raiders Talk podcast. Oh, by the way. Go to NBCSports.com slash Bay Area slash podcast. If you're a fan of any, any other Bay Area team, uh, you know, from the Kings to the Warriors to the Giants, good podcast there for you. That brings a wrap to this one. Josh, thank you so much for the time. Thank you guys for listening. Raiders Insider Podcast on NBCSportsCalifornia.com.